Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome to Work Human, our exclusive coverage from Work Human 19. I am your host, Hotchnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Mike Wood. Mike, good to be back with you, my friend. It's great to be back in Nashville where we hear the, some of the honky-tonk sounds. You know, uh, we're live in Music City, USA. Uh, we're in literally in the shadows, I think, of the Grand Old Opry. So <laughs> it's exciting to be here. And boy, kudos to you and your team. Thank Another you. Another killer-looking event. It's great. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to it. We have one of my favorites in this industry kicking us off. I'm sure that was by design. Uh, I always enjoy <laughs> spending time with her. Always learn a lot. Let's welcome Robin Schooling. She's the head of people with Strial Consulting. Robin, welcome. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Mike. It's fun to be here. I love work human. I love this event. I love I coming every year. It is one of my favorite events. We're also joined by John Baldino. He is the president of Humoriso. John, welcome. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. Good Mike, to good to you. see you, Robin, as always. See, this is great. I set it up so that I'd be having two of my good friends that are coming <laughs> in to kind of kick off our interviews for the day. So I'm going to start with you, Robin. Now, don't read too much into this, but I know that you have a passion. I'm going to get punched. I know that you have a passion for helping female workers, especially aging ones. What can companies do to create positive workplaces for women throughout their careers? Everybody's giggling in here. It's like a leap across the table. No offense, but you know, then I'm going to offend you. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're true. You know, you're correct in that assessment. I think it's it's always been a passion of mine working in HR to remember the people that are involved. Obviously, and one of the things that I've noticed is we have some issues with folks of a certain age finding meaningful, gainful employment and the sorts of things that they want to do. And it's women, it's men as well. And, you know, we can really look back 10 years. We look to the recession and people that were displaced are still struggling. I will still have conversations with people who never were able to come back and land into the type of role that they want. And as they've continued to get older, they're struggling even more with that. And there are biases that exist, unfortunately, in organizations. There are biases that exist with hiring managers. And we see it a lot with, you know, on the recruiting side, take a stroll through some job postings for certain organizations and look at the words that are being used. And they may not be outright saying, we want somebody who's 25 years old and, you know, that's who we want to consider. But some of the language that's used that speaks to, you know, you should be energetic and a go-getter and a digital native and be fresh and, you know, ready to take on challenges. It's subtle language Mm -hmm. that just serves to kind of perpetuate these challenges to bringing people of a certain age into roles. So I think organizations really need to check themselves throughout that entire process and take a look at how they're crafting their message, who they're trying to attract, who they're trying to hire, you know, and then once they kind of get those applicants in, one of the things I actually had this conversation within the last year or so, and there was a hiring manager who said, I don't want to bring, I don't think Joe is a good candidate for us because, you know, he's probably 
only going to last about seven or eight years and he'll be ready to retire. Well, you know, the average tenure now at a job is less than three years. I think it's like 2.8 years or something. And really, you think somebody coming in for seven or eight years is not good enough. You know, so those sorts of things exist throughout the spectrum of that employment experience. And we just need to do better by questioning it and challenging it in our own organizations. And then when we see it elsewhere. Well, I have about 30 follow-up questions on this discussion. <laughs> Before I go there, I do want to, I imagine, John, you have some something to say and add here too. Yeah. I mean, I agree completely. I think even on the recruitment end, the job titles that we're using, like every organization that thinks that they have to be hip, you know, you can't be a trainer anymore. You've got to be a whatever, right? Sensei, or you've got to be this or that. Even in the job title, there's a bias there. You know, people aren't searching necessarily for that, or it automatically makes someone who perhaps is of a certain age think they'll never hire me. They're already downtrodden about it. And that affects the entire approach that they'll take to the job search, which is unfortunate. We really do need the skill sets of folks at all levels, right? We're focused for the moment on, say, an older generation, and we don't want to lose that skill set. We've done a terrible job in knowledge management in most organizations. People leave. And we have very little history from their heads into the next people who need to know what they know. We just let that knowledge walk out the door time and time again and start from scratch with people and waste a ton of time. I mean, it's really poorly designed. And I just want to kind of piggyback off that. I've seen in kind of our organization at Work Human, we have... We started out with everybody's pretty much around the same age because we're at the same kind of level in our careers. But as we've grown older as an organization, we've brought in other folks that have more experience. And there's a couple guys on my team that, you know, they may learn some of the hard skills about the digital stuff from me, but I'm learning so much about the soft skills, yeah. the politics, the how to present yourself that yeah. they've learned throughout the years. And, you know, if there's a situation that I'm going through whenever I can go to them because most likely they've been through the same thing at one point. Yeah. So I just love having that in the organization, which I haven't seen before. I mean, I was at a PR agency for a little bit and everybody was young. Right. So you need that there mm -hmm. to kind of help coach that next level. John, how do we do this knowledge transfer? I, I, another industry that I cover is that situation, that problem. And it's a very scientific engineering driven where there's been gentlemen who have been working that space for 50 years that yeah. are leaving with a sincere knowledge that it's a crisis point in this industry and they've identified it as such. How yeah. do you begin, what does management have to do to begin to foster an environment where we don't let this happen anymore? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question, really. I think that there's two veins that have to happen. One, if it is something where there's a lot more hard data, you mentioned a scientific environment, there's a lot there that can be very process oriented because it's facts, metrics, those kinds of things, and how to arrive at those answers based on those metrics. Okay, sit with people purposely every week, right? And have something intentional with people. And we're not talking about three-hour sessions, quite honestly. Most of the time, if organizations try to do something that formalized, it fails. It needs to be something where it's, you know, 20 minutes. Sit with somebody for 20 minutes and say, hey, what do you know about this? How do you get from A to B to C to D? That critical thought path is really important. And again, on the scientific end or the hard data end, you can put a program together around that. When it comes to the other areas, the soft skill stuff, Mike, you mentioned, or you know, the course of doing business that people just don't realize that they've acclimated to, there's nothing formalized, there's no policy or procedure. 
Job shadowing is really important. Give people an opportunity to work with someone, you know, a day, a month, depending on what the industry is, half of the week where they are just there as a student watching everything that the person does and ask good questions. Hey, why did you do this instead of this? Most times those folks doing it will say, I don't know, that's just what we do. Right? It's that old story about we've always done. Right, the right. ham and the pan, the ham and the pan, <laughs> right? The old story of the ham and the pan. And if you don't know it, Google it. But the, <laughs> the idea that people, there's a woman in human resources that I look up to very much. Her name is Dorothy Stubblebine. And Dorothy was a trendsetter. She was a senior HR executive when there were not women. And even in that senior HR executive, they just promoted men into that role because they were guys and they needed them there, whether they had the skill set or not. But she was the senior HR person a long while back for Wyeth Pharmaceuticals, broke through glass ceilings. She's awesome. And I tell her all the time, she's forgotten more HR than most people will learn because she just lived it. And now we need to take a lot of notes of what's in her head and be deliberate about that. So you really have to put an intention behind it. I think too, you know, and you hear about this, especially with larger organizations that are starting to explore like a phased retirement so that that knowledge transfer can happen on the terms of the person who's leaving. So, you know, exploring different ways to let people continue to work for the organization so that if I decide I'm, you know, 65 years old, maybe I want to retire, but I don't really want to fully retire Mm -hmm. and I can do a partial retirement and sort of wind myself down over the next year or two so that I'm still accessible for that knowledge transfer and to, you know, mentor other people coming into the organization. You know, so there's different ways that organizations can help really both sides of it. They're helping the organization and also taking somebody who doesn't quite want to hang it totally up and let them continue to work too. Yeah. And I think it's going to be harder by the time, you know, my generation gets up there. I'm 37. So by the time my generation you're gonna gets- You're going to work till you're 80. Yes. I'm going to work till I'm 80, but I don't think, I think there's going to be a point where you want to take a step back and retire and you'll be like a couple of years retired, but you're not going to be fully retired. Right. You're going to want to consult or get back because it's been such a huge part of your life for, you know, 50 years at that point yeah. that, you know, if there's more of those kind of, I guess, maybe gigs yeah. or if they're part-time- that come in and you still feel like you're worth something. Right, right. Yeah. Well, what kind of decisions, I want to throw this up to the three of you. <laughs> Chip Conley, now of Airbnb, put out a book called Wisdom at Work. And the idea being, he's an old guy in a tech-driven industry mm-hmm. and he's almost now insignificant. And so he thought, how do we battle? There's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of experience. There's a lot of knowledge there. And position yourself as a mentor within that organization and then because those younger people coming up, they need that desperately. So position yourself. That. Is that it? What do you all think of that idea? What else can we do to, you know, with this aging workforce? How do we tap into that? There's a lot of knowledge there as we just talked about how that transfer works. But there's a way they can serve now. Right. Robin, I'll ask you read up. Yeah. You know, I think it varies by the type of position as sure. well. And I think. We also have to be aware that some people will still truly want to retire. They'll be physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted, have health issues. You know, so we need to let those people truly retire. And I know I went totally off on tangent there. (laughs) That totally didn't answer your question. But that's what stuck me. (laughs) That's what what stuck in my head. I mean, I think that it's the concept is a good one, right? Because there is wisdom there. Um, I think the mentoring thing is a really interesting play. And here's why. In the younger workers that come up and in to any organization, 
when you start to talk about an older person, and it may not necessarily be older by age, but older by experience, let's say X amount of years, even if they have, you know, they're 23 years old, 24 years old, and they're to sit with someone who's 43, 44, you know, 20 years, let's say the 43 year old, 44 year old doesn't feel old necessarily. But what is interesting really is on the younger person's perspective of I'm sitting with an adult, right? Air quotes that you can't see, right? Sitting with an adult and I'm, this is something authoritarian. This is something that's teacher oriented, parental in feel, right? It's easy to set it up that way. And you actually will lose what you're trying to achieve when you set it up that way. So somehow, some way, what I find works best in mentoring is not to formalize it. Give people an opportunity to sort of get to know the staff around and they will themselves start to gravitate towards someone. You know, Mike, like you just shared about some folks within your own department that you just start to gravitate towards to ask certain questions. You trust the advice that they Mm -hmm. will give you. When you start to notice that if you're a senior manager who should be looking over his or her department that way, you'll see these natural mentoring opportunities happen. And then to go to someone and say, you know, hey, Joe, could I ask if you would be a little more deliberate with Mike and spend, you know, I see you asking a lot of questions. Could you do that weekly? Let's just make sure it happens. We're not formalizing it because you'll be in trouble if you don't, but rather we want to make sure that you get out of Mike's head what we need. Mm -hmm. And let it happen naturally. Yeah. And at Work Human, we've kind of looked at a lot of this because we try to, you know, we try to innovate. We try to see what the next thing is out there. We've looked a lot about, a lot at what skills is somebody bringing in. So, for example, my colleague, uh, Dan Miller, he's the director of content. He is an older guy, but he is like and. He'll laugh when I say this, but I said he's had like a Forrest Gump life. He's had like, he's done like, he's been a sports reporter. He was a radio host at one point. He was an extra in a B-rated horror movie called The Stuff in the 80s. Really? Stuff? Yeah. It's called The Stuff and I found it on YouTube. So it exists. I may have watched it. (laughs) So he was, but he's done all these different things and he at his heart is a writer. So I know if I have any writing Mm -hmm. questions, I can go to him. I have another colleague that that used to do a lot with negotiating contracts. So that's not something that you necessarily learn right off the bat, but we know that that person, we have identified them. They have the skill set. If anyone Mm -hmm. wants to learn it, they can go to that person. Mm -hmm. So we try to match people up with these mentorship opportunities. And it's only going to be better once, you know, your company gets so big that you may not know that somebody has a particular skill that you need. Yeah. Well, and obviously the management needs to empower this environment. They say this is for sure. encouraged heavily. All right, guys, we're running low on time. So uh, one more question for each of you. I would uh, invite either I'll ask each of you to comment on what can an organization do to work more human and or any thoughts on the future of work. John, I'll start with you. Well, oh my gosh, yeah, so that's a simple question. Right? Yeah. What can an organization do to <laughs> yeah. work more human? Well, I think they should remember that they're humans. That's number one. Depending on the type of industry, we have over-regulated things. And so we've taken some of the humanity out of it. I think, and I'm going to give, if this is going to be broadcast all over the place, I'll probably be audited in about a week. But I mean, I think the government doesn't do us any favors in the U.S. I think that the way that they have micromanaged and challenged reporting for us has really kept us behind the times, you know, and I can, that's a whole other show, but you know, that it just doesn't help organizations to think as fluidly as they need to. But within that construct, I think that we really should do a better job of setting managers up for success. I really believe in overall setting people up for success. That's what our overall mantra should be each day. No matter who it is, in what role, set them up for success. Managers in particular, 
seem to be given the title of manager, told this is their new role, they're happy for a month until they start to get held accountable for things within their departments, that they have no skill set or not much of a skill set to apply to it. And so they revert back to checks, balances, Uh Uh lists, right? Did you do this? If you did, then this. It's flowchart management. And that's not how people live. I appreciate the fact that we have to have some sort of compliance, but it's not how people live. Help managers to really remember rapport development. They were great when they were an employee. Now that you have his title, why did you forget all that? Well, because we built businesses to be that way. So that's top of mind. Yep. Robin, what about you? Yeah. And really building off of that. Yes. Remembering we're dealing with people in the organization. I like that flowchart management vision because I see that all the time and have seen that in so many organizations I've worked at where there's no realization or recognition that people are bringing every piece of their outside life in with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's sort of this mantra that certain managers are very fond of, of saying, you know, I expect when you walk in the door, you're coming to work and you're going to leave everything outside the door. That's such an old school Mm -hmm. way of managing. And sadly that still goes on. And I think to get us to working more human is realizing that, you know, people are complex and complicated and, you know, that they just had a fight with their spouse and the car broke down on their way to work and the kids, kids got the you know, flu. Got the flu, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. And why in the world can't we make it okay for people to talk about that, yeah. you know, at work or to be able to have a crappy day mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, I worked for one organization where everybody was expected to be literally, you were expected to be like smiling all the time. If you weren't smiling, <laughs> people would say something like, you know, oh my God, you right. know, why aren't you smiling? Because I had a horrible, awful day, you know, yeah. so um, maybe I'm not going to be smiling right you, now. Is that what you're going to say? Horrible, awful day. You oh, weren't going to say something else? Horrible, awful day. Okay. We'll go with that. <laughs> I'm censoring my language. I see yeah, that. Yeah. Yes. Well, we know this has been very hard for you. So, so we're grateful to that. All right. Well, guys, I, we could talk for hours. Uh, much more to learn from you. But unfortunately, we're about out of time for today. Robin, should anyone need to connect with you? How do they do that? Just all over the interwebs, uh, really. <laughs> Robinschooling.com. Twitter's at Robinschooling. LinkedIn. My website's Rob, you know. Yeah. Right. John, what about you? How do we find you? Same thing, right? So uh, humoriso.com, I think, is probably the easiest as far as uh, kind of housing a bunch of info. But then on Twitter is JB Alive, LinkedIn, John Baldino, crazy shots of my family on Instagram at <laughs> the John Baldino if you're really bored. So there you go. Outstanding. John Baldino, <laughs> president of Humoriso and Robin Schooling, the head of people with Strial Consulting. John, Robin, great to have you. Thanks again for Thank stopping you. by and joining Thank us. You. Thanks for having us. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at WorkHuman March 18th through the 21st in Nashville. Visit WorkHuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2019. 